Hello everyone and welcome to another very exciting episode of Nintendo Everything Refresh, the weekly show where we keep you all up to date on everything new and exciting in the world of Nintendo. I'm your host Nick Serpa, joined today by the wonderful Tom Chaplin. Hello everyone, I'm back again. Back again and better than ever, I would say. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, and we are also joined today by Nicholas Shade. Hello, happy to be here. I think we're all uh, a little bit still kind of recovering from <laughs> the craziness that came with the last Nintendo Direct. Um, for those who, who didn't catch last week's episode, we pretty much poured over every detail and uh, talked about basically every game they, they showed off. And um, so predictably, this, this week was a, a little bit of a reprieve from all that craziness. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I know you you guys were super busy over on the YouTube channel unpacking everything. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen it yet or not. We have uh, we had put out three videos covering the direct, two trailer breakdowns, very extensive twenty to thirty minute like frame by frame analysis of the Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and Pikmin Four trailer. Um, so yeah, we we definitely were we're digging the direct as well. Yes, you guys were uh, very thorough to the point where I was. When I was watching the Tears of the Kingdom one, I was like, how on earth did they even catch that little detail? Like, I would not have noticed that, even if I was going frame by frame. It's, you know, it's uh, shocking. The length, you know, we mentioned this at the end, but the length I went is I did put, <laughs> I put the trailer in reverse audio to make sure there was no hint <laughs> of those weird voices at the end. And it, it's also gibberish backwards, but I was like, I have to know if there is. I need, I need to figure this out. No, that's that's wonderful. It's it's the type of content the world needs. Well, Tom, since we have you here, what what was your personal highlight from the direct? Oh man, I mean, I was most surprised by not just Prime Remaster, but that it shadow dropped. I couldn't, I just wasn't able to believe it uh, because it just feels so like cramped. I mean, this is a big week this upcoming week for releases with Kirby and with Octopath Traveler two. Uh, and mm -hmm. then they're just going to cram in Prime Remastered, like, in a dense area of the release schedule. I was just surprised by that. But, um, I mean, Pikmin 4 is my was the trailer that, like, got me excited. Because it just looked like a really, like, to its roots. Like, even though, like, the camera angle is different, some of the presentation is different. Like, all the Pikmin 2 dungeon stuff. Like, it looked a little bit, like, hardcore old school Pikmin design that... You know, I love Pikmin and love everything about it. So that that's probably my favorite trailer uh, from the direct. But it was just from back to front. I was I I feel good about that direct. I think it was pretty pretty fun. Yeah. No, there was definitely something for everyone. And yeah, I, that shadow drop of Metroid Prime Remastered, I think, just completely screwed up everyone's gaming plans for the last. <laughs> well, weeks. I will say I did. I'm waiting <laughs> on the physical release, so I haven't. Ah, okay. I want that. Wise man. I want that hard <laughs> copy of that game. I'm, they're not going to Mario 3D All-Stars me with this game, okay? I, I don't <laughs> trust it. <laughs> not The last time they did a three a, a GameCube remaster, it's gone now from the digital It's eShop, gone, so. yes. Uh, this, this R.I.P. Sunshine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this it basically never existed. It's, you know, <laughs> all gone now. Um well, yeah, no, that's that's good. I'm, I'm glad everyone has had a chance to recover a little bit. Um, let's get into the headlines for this week. Um, now, some of this stuff is, I, I think I mentioned this last week, but some of this is actually stuff that happened like right before the Direct that we didn't have a chance to talk about because 
Like, really, what else are you going to talk about the week of a Nintendo Direct? Um, but still some, some interesting conversation pieces here. So, right before the Direct, Nintendo had one of their big annual internal financial meetings, uh, which aren't usually, like, inherently exciting, I'd say, <laughs> to the average person. But I, I wanted to point out just this one little tidbit from that, because there's just been so much talk lately about you know, well, really, ever since the Switch <laughs> was like a year into its life, um, what's the next Switch gonna look like? And what's the, you know, what's the future of Nintendo's hardware? Are they gonna put out a Switch Pro or whatever? And we've, we've talked about all that pretty extensively. But, um, but when Nintendo was kind of asked about the Switch's life cycle uh, during this meeting, they, they were very kind of, I think, fairly transparent about the fact that you know, the Switch still has a lot of life left in it and that they are, you know, still trying to, you know, focus on that that hardware um, moving forward. Um, we have a, a piece up on NintendoEverything.com that has his his full statement, but, um, but, you know, he was talking about that... Let me see if I can pull out key quote here. Um, so he said, uh, this is coming from Furukawa, he said, Nintendo Switch, which will soon enter its seventh year, has sold over 120 million units. Which, by the way, is... Wasn't there a story that said it was like the... like Now it's like the third best-selling console of all time? Yep. Uh, yeah, DS and PS2. Yep. It just passed Game Boy and PS4. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, but... You know, the, the long and short of this is just that, you know, they they are continuing, like, to develop new games. Like, there's more more stuff in the pipeline than we know of now. They said December last year, they saw the highest ever level of engagement with the platform. Um, and that they're continuing to focus on, like, putting out new evergreen titles. Um, so, there there's a lot to unpack here. But I think the message he was trying to send was that the Switch still has a lot of life left in it. I don't know. What do you guys make of all of this? I think it's pretty... It's interesting because at this point in time, I think basically everyone is looking towards a new system, right? Like, there We constantly talk about if there are rumors of a new system being announced or releasing, when it might release or when they might announce it. And we just don't really have a perspective on what it is that Nintendo's thinking about it. So having them flat out say, like, hey, we're still looking optimistically um, towards the Switch's future... It's different. <laughs> it's definitely, it goes against the grain of what everyone wants in a way. At the same time, it makes some level of sense because the Switch still is selling well. It really has not slowed down in terms of sales at all. So there's not really a significant reason to get a new system other than just wanting better hardware to develop for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts because I do like these financial briefings. Uh, I'm fascinated by them. Uh, you know, just pure number nerd part. Like, oh, man. Oh, yeah. 20 million for Pokemon Scarlet. Uh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> the small violin starts playing. Um, you know, but this will be this decision is obviously like a big one. And it's the first time. A decision like this for hardware will have to be made post Awada, right? Like, this, we, we, yeah, it's pretty confirmed that Awada was around for the Switch development, at least early on. 
um, and kind of headed that transition before his death, right? And Furukawa, you know, I don't know how good of a job he's doing, but I don't think he could have gotten an easier job or timing for the Nintendo CEO job because the Switch was... (laughs) rolling it sells itself and he's just kind of right and he's been kind of just like manning the ship he's not this idealist uh imagineer that awada was right where where he's gonna push some weird boundary and open up some door that we could have never thought of like awada was willing to risk i mean awada is one of the greatest you know figures in the video game industry history i expect the switches and the post switch plan will be as safe and, and as possible. I expect this to grind the switch out because if you look at a release schedule, this is not the release schedule of the last year of a system. Right. Um, even mm-hmm. with the Wii, right? It's console so popular like the Wii, like that last year was dismal. Last five, six years was pretty dismal, but especially that last year, you know, Wii U obviously didn't have any games. This is not the last year. This is not the software of a final year. But if they do come out with a new system, it'll just be a Switch 2. It'll have to be. It'll be like it'll be like 3DS, but without the 3D. It'll just be DS2, that kind of a transition where it's backwards compatible. I expect a lot of safety from Furukawa because, again, I, he's not some visionary. Uh, I, to, to my eye, at least, to what he... He's not, um, he's not sitting his, in his, his office resume. being like... We need to bring back uh, the uh, Nintendo, the the Wii, uh, like the finger pulse scanner thing. We need to bring that for <laughs> yeah, right. Or the uh, yeah, that's the Virtual right. Boy Two Sleep Initiative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Switch sequel no, is actually I... a Virtual Boy where the uh, the headset is a Switch dock and you just put it in and play Virtual Boy that way. Yeah, <laughs> it's, that would be a big shock. Um, yeah. No, I I agree with you, Tom. I mean it. It's a really interesting take because I, I think a lot of people just have always just assumed because this is kind of what Nintendo has always done is just whatever Nintendo is going to do next, it's got to be some grand sweeping overhaul of things. But that just you know the the writing is not really on the wall for that this time around. I mean, yeah. it could still completely happen. They 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 do make it a point to say you know. The, the standard corporate response of, oh, well, we're always working on new hardware and experimenting with new technologies and things like that. So I think it is possible that they have something in the background. But, yeah, I mean, if the Switch is still selling at the rate that it is, you know, for the foreseeable future, and, you know, clearly they, they still seem to have more games further out that they're just not ready to talk about yet, it does seem like it would be pretty shocking to me, at least, if they were just to throw all that out and do like a hard reset on their hardware at this stage yeah. um which is funny because like that seems to be like what a lot of folks are asking for but i don't know about you guys but like i still feel like the switch has a lot of mileage and life left in it like for me personally like i'm not tired of using it i'm not tired of playing games on it like yeah like i wish it was a bit more powerful sure we all do but um but like by and large i think it's still like the most versatile console out there yeah, I, I think I'm with you, although I do, I am starting to get to a point where I'm wishing it was a bit more powerful than it is for certain things, uh, because the the further we go, the, the harder it's going to be to actually get uh, ports of other games, <laughs> like modern ports of other games with a similar timing to what they're receiving on like PS5, PS4, etc. Uh-huh. Um, and to that end, I, I hope it can keep up a little. <laughs> 
but otherwise, I, I definitely agree. I mean, it's still the system I play constantly. I don't really have an issue with how it's designed at its core. I would just like a little bit of a power boost, but if that comes, if that were to come like in a year, in two years, it wouldn't matter too much to me. Honestly, it's, it's kind of just, it, it would be nice to know for sure when it is happening, <laughs> especially with a presumed uh, Tears of the Kingdom OLED being released around the, that game's launch. So I would know whether that's worth getting or not. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, it, if, it, if it, that is a real thing, I mean, that was just a rumor, but yes. it seems plausible, I would say. Um, yeah, as always, I think the answer is we'll just have to wait and see, but it is interesting, you know, what Nintendo is saying versus what a lot of fans seem to be asking for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I play my Switch more than any console. I mean, I, you know, I've played today, you know, uh, but <laughs> yeah. I am long past. I am long past the need for more power. I mean, I am. I'm over it. <laughs> like, again, I love the Switch. Don't get me wrong, but I, I definitely think uh, a revision or see, like, I more power would do kindly to even the games that look great on there. But maybe they could run at 60 FPS instead of 30. You know, like there's mm-hmm. little things. Sure. Even ports of of games that you wouldn't think. The Switch couldn't handle like TMNT, right? The new TMNT game. Well, that had frame rate issues on the Switch, only on the Switch. So, like stuff like that are are reasons to want to kind of maybe move on quicker. But I, so yeah. I get I get why people feel that way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Also, well, to, to what you're saying, Tom, about for cars just being less risky, I kind of want that because I don't want them to make a Switch successor that is full this just all in on one gimmick like the Wii U did and completely bombs. I'd be much happier with the Switch 2 that is just, this is the Switch, but better. <laughs> I just want, yeah, I agree with you. I just want us to, like, take a moment and, like, recognize, oh, like, this is the this is the first really big decision he's going to have to make as CEO. You know, the Switch was Iwata, and Iwata's home run, he's like, home run or complete whiff, right? Or a strike, because mm-hmm. he goes for these incredibly risky, brave moves that are, again, in retrospect, whenever the book on Iwata comes out, are incredibly amazing that choices that he made but i agree maybe just a switch but better yeah is all we need <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much i think that's what I, that would make a lot of people perfectly happy <laughs> myself included um all right well th- th- this is a good chance i think to remind everyone of uh nintendo's other consoles that are now uh well they've been on life support now they're just about to just be dead uh, at least at Nintendo. <laughs> Speaking of dying consoles. <laughs> Speaking of death and yeah, no. um, this is our uh, our I think monthly reminder that the uh, 3DS and Wii U eShops are about to be no more. Um, one of the kind of question marks that was up in the air about that was like, can we still have like what's going to happen to our our funds once the eShop shuts down? Like, are we just going to lose whatever credit we have in there? And um, so now Nintendo is saying that if you have your 3DS and your Wii U like account linked with your Switch like eShop account, you can still use those funds over on your Switch and merge them over um, until next March, so March 2024, which is good. Um, it's it's uh, these whenever I start seeing these types of stories, it just reminds me that this whole shutdown is right around the corner, and it mm. <laughs> makes me sad. Rip. Yeah. We barely knew ye. You know, I have a, a hot theory, a hot take theory about Nintendo's 
timelines for these things. Mm, uh, please. I don't know if you all rem remember when they announced this shutdown happening. It was it was last year, around this time last year. They, they said they were going to be closing eShops. Um, and it was like conveniently like either the day before or day after the direct they announced Earthbound was coming to the Switch, <laughs> to the Switch Online. The yep. mother Which I think I think that that announcement and that decision to release it and then the, is, is intertwined as a marketing gimmick to make us like because if the Earthbound was going to be even for one second locked to the Wii U we all thought it was going to be lost to the Wii U or, or 3DS there would have been uproar but because that direct just <laughs> announced it whew, we're good and then what happens with this direct game boy and yeah, game boy advance are coming true. nintendo switch online everyone it's gonna be all right oh metroid prime because you know you get the trilogy on wii u shop uh -huh. all these all these type of virtual console game announcements happen right before a big drop about the eShop's further damnation uh that's, yeah i think they're very calculated <laughs> No, that is a great point. E even like, I, I mean, as much as I would love to think that somebody at Nintendo of America deciding when to release this press release is thinking, we really have to think about the Earthbound fans. <laughs> I, I don't really, the, uh, the cynic in me says, it's, no, they're no, just trying to bury too... it under the, the torrent of news that comes from the direct. They're just like, oh, well, people won't see perfect, this. It's too perfect, right? Yeah. It's too perfect that Earthbound's the announcement the day before they announced the closure of the eShop on 3DS and Wii U. Like, that is not an accident. I, you can't tell me otherwise. <laughs> like, that's a second, that's two episodes in a row I've been on that I said that. <laughs> No, this is uh, good. This I is, don't know. This is the level of, of conspiracy theory that I think is helpful to the to the broader Nintendo game public. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just, uh, I, I'm just, I've been trying to use this past year, ever since they announced the shutdown, I've been trying to play some of those 3DS games that I'd, I never got around to, or at least make sure I have them installed for the that random time three years from now when I want to go play that no, one game both, that i missed you know both capcom and atlas will like drop shadow stealth sales and all their 3ds and, and wii u games there's not really much wii u games but 3ds games and that's when you need to pick <laughs> up all the shimigami tensei yep. yeah that you'll never find again yep. all the ace attorneys that aren't anywhere else you know like that's when you need to go in and and do that uh and keep an eye out i don't know if they they're probably done doing that now but I remember it last year. They started just, oh yeah, talking to like six, six, seven bucks for like Shimigami Tensei Four and these games that if you wanted to buy physically are going to cost you like a hundred dollars. So definitely, uh, that's that's you need to jump on that stuff before they're gone and forever gone because they're not being ported. At least I think. Yeah, it does seem no, like those sales know, have kind. Of, they have kind of started to slow down a little bit though. Like I haven't seen as much right. of that happening. Um, Although I will say it's a, I think it's a better situation than like what's going on. So uh, I was a big uh, PlayStation Vita fan back in the day, and um, well, I guess I, I would still consider myself a PlayStation Vita fan. But it's you know Sony like they they still have the shop open. They were gonna shut it down. A bunch of people complained, and they actually listened, and they're like, all right, we're gonna keep the PlayStation Vita store open for this foreseeable future. Um, but all like. Like they they have not like updated it at all, which makes sense. But like, they're they're not letting publishers do what Nintendo is letting publishers do right now with the sales and all that. So like, there are still games on there that go on sale all the time on every other platform that just 
are still a full 40, 50 bucks on the, on the Vita. So I actually really appreciate that Nintendo at least gave some of us a chance, albeit a short chance, to save a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah, get those 3D uh, virtual console ports from M2. You got to get the, the Sega 3D games. Uh, those are all like must-have exclusives that are relatively cheap because they're older games. But, you know, like Space Harrier on 3DS, I mean, we're talking about the best port of that game. That's, I've heard I heard a couple people mention that at this point actually that's that's really interesting um, yeah I'm personally I'm really just interested in just all those little eShop games that are just never gonna go anywhere else like does anyone remember back when level five they had their uh, their guild series yeah where they were releasing just all these really short bite-sized experimental games and um, most of them did not release anywhere. And I remember reading about them um, in Nintendo Power Magazine, of all things. I was like, oh, I really want to play that. And then when I realized the store was shutting down, I was like, oh, this is, I, I better cross these ones off my backlog. <laughs> Another dead thing, Nintendo Power Magazine. Thanks, man. Yes. This is <laughs> how many dead things are we going to bring up That's, here? I, Okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> we we got to keep things positive around here. Although uh, Nintendo Power still lives on technically in the form of the Nintendo Power podcast which I'm sure is exactly what everyone wants. <laughs> um, Identical mediums. Yes. <laughs> well, it, it, one thing that is coming back is uh, the hub from Splatoon 1. Uh, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit in the last in the last episode. <laughs> I know, my segues what are What convenient impeccable. timing. We won't be able to play Splatoon anymore. Yeah, you know, just as that's being wiped off the face of servers, um, it lives on in another way. <laughs> yeah, we talked a little bit about this last week, how they're bringing back the Splatoon 1 hub world as part of this expansion pass, but weirdly, it's just... It's literally just bringing back, like you can't do anything different. You literally can just visit the, the same stores, but it's all the same clothes from the base game. Yep. I don't really get it personally, but. Yeah. Um, it's, it, there's been a lot of talk about it in the community and differing opinions on whether this is worth it or not. And I think the main thing is the idea that uh, in Splatoon 2, we got the Octo expansion for about $20. So people are saying basically, yeah, they're advertising this as wave one, but really just view this as like a $5 extra. <laughs> like you're paying 20 bucks for the actual new story stuff that's coming later. And this is just like five extra bucks for cosmetics, which is a, I don't know but if I yeah. fully agree with that, but I get the logic. Yeah, no, I could kind of see that. Um, yeah, the reason I'm bringing this up is because they actually, for some reason they didn't announce it in the direct. In the direct they said yep. it was just coming... <laughs> in spring but then like the monday after they were like oh it's coming out february 28th so <laughs> very very soon actually yeah it doesn't make much sense <laughs> they did the same thing with the fire emblem engage dlc too it was like oh it's coming out like this week or today it was like okay wait a second <laughs> yeah yeah tom where are you at with this splatoon 3 expansion pass i'm not sure if you're a big splatoon guy or not but i i, I don't get why Splatoon 3 exists. Now <laughs> like, we were all waiting. Ooh, spicy when That take. game was announced. We were all waiting for that game was announced to, like, what's the hook now? I mean, 2 is good, but it got, obviously that was the. Had to get out for the launch year of the Switch. Now this is the real game, and it. It really. I didn't want. I, I, I didn't pick it up because it, it didn't. 
it didn't have that hook. It was pretty much more Splatoon. You know, I played the test uh -huh. fire and I was like, yep, that's Splatoon. Like, and, you know, from what I hear, you know, around the, the at least the you know, Western Twitter sphere, is like, this game's kind of disappointing. And a lot of people are, a lot of hardcore Switch uh, Splatoon fans are kind of dropping it, especially the connection issues are a lot worse on this game for some reason. Maybe because the player base is larger, because this game definitely sold like insane. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe a DLC will convince me. I also got really unlucky because I bought the Splatoon 2 DLC pack like a week before the expansion pass added it for free. Um, and oh, I'm still yeah. salty about that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's no, that's understandable. I, I mean, I, I kind of understand like a little bit of the fatigue with the franchise. I, but I know like Nicholas, like you're very, you were all about it. Like you thought this was, I mean. A lot of folks seem to seem to think when this game came out that it was the best Splatoon game, which I think makes yeah. sense. Well, being... I think objectively, ignoring the fact that it doesn't have uh, it doesn't have the extent of content that two did, because two had its con they have this for Splatoon. They just decide they want to build content up from the start until it reaches like its its final form, basically. So Splatoon two does have more content in terms of weapons, maps, etc. than three currently does. Um, that uh -huh. being said, Splatoon 2 had less content at launch than 3 does. But anyway, ignoring that, just from a pure mechanical standpoint, uh, quality of life standpoint, etc., I do think this is the best Splatoon game. The only real, the only real problems with it uh, that I would say make it kind of not greater than 1 and 2 in some regards is 1, the connection issues are more frequent. I have not run into them nearly as much as other people online have said, but there's been more than enough complaints about it that, you know, I'm, I will acknowledge it's definitely an issue. Uh, and two is that the map design is generally just not as solid. A lot of them are just... They're designed to be way more straightforward, which causes a bit of a problem in terms of over-centralizing the game around certain weapons. Uh, besides those two issues, I, I do think this is a very good game. <laughs> Of course, I was not arguing the game. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sure like incrementally it's better than all the other ones. And there's a lot of things they added to loadout management and stuff that's just better. But again, it's it's like it's taking the root of a lot of other games like this in the genre that we kind of saw Splatoon as maybe an, uh, an, like an uh, outlier for the online FPS. This game feels more incremental in a way that maybe the first two was able to skew a bit because of the console difference and everything like that. Um, but right. yeah, not to say it's yeah. a bad game. I definitely want to clarify. Obviously, very competently made, well, you know, fun game. But yeah, just well, not, not was I was not the bleep that I was hoping. Yeah, no, that's for. valid. Right, right. Um, yeah, no, different strokes for different folks. Totally, totally agree with that. Um, well, Splatoon was also in the news this week because. Uh, the opening of Super Nintendo World is imminent, and that that's exciting for a lot of folks who live here in the U.S. and are or are able to travel to the West Coast. Um, but uh, in an interview with uh, Mr. Miyamoto himself, uh, Polygon asks about you know did you guys ever consider any other IPs to base Super Nintendo World around other than just Mario? And uh, he he mentioned Splatoon. He said many other IPs were considered. And that Splatoon was one of them, and it just kind of got me thinking, like, what a uh, what would a Splatoon like theme park look like? 
you know? Like, what would what would you do? Like, would you have, like, a paintball, <laughs> like, yeah. experience stand, kind of thing? You'd have, like, a, one of those games where you have, like, a light gun shooting at probably Octarians from the story mode. <laughs> I will say the hub worlds of Splatoon 1, 2, and 3 are, like, literally theme yeah. art. You know, Pretty like, like Inkopolis looks like something you would see at a Universal studio. And there's shops and... You know, Food iconic, vendors. Yeah. Again, I, there's iconic vendors. What a perfect thing for a, a theme. Uh, a theme <laughs> Diagon Alley right. Saloon. So, right. So I no like not even. Yeah. Joke. Yeah. I feel like it's it. I feel like if they were gonna do it, I don't know what they do for a ride. I mean, an ink an Inca line maybe. Um, tor- more towers <laughs> world. again. Uh, more <laughs> towers, but it's like haunted. It's the haunted tower. Oh. <laughs> um, but I would assume they would just recreate Incopolis or something. <laughs> yeah, something like that for sure. Um, yeah, I, I really, I, I really want to go and check out the Super Nintendo World when it opens. I know there's been some talk of, I, I don't know if it's been confirmed or not, but they were working on like a, a Donkey Kong Park at the Japanese one. So I'm kind of yeah. like, I, part of me is kind of like, oh, I, I want to see if they're gonna like, because. If they're going to open up, like, multiple of these different zones or whatever, I kind of just want to go, like, when they're all open, you know? <laughs> but then I'll be waiting, like, a decade, so probably not. <laughs> That's the thing, right? You'll be waiting forever. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, <laughs> or do you guys ever intend to go check out the uh, Super Nintendo World once it's open? Probably at some point. I don't think in the near future. Um, I, it's all, the other thing is like as, as cool as the Mario World is, I would probably be waiting on something that's more of a hook, like say a Zelda World, because <laughs> that would, that would just be a little bit more in line with my tastes. Sure, sure. Uh, being a resident of Florida, <laughs> uh, once once it opens, because uh, it's not in uh, Orlando yet; it's only in uh, the California yeah, one in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I'm so I'm like an hour drive from that one. I might have to be you might you know I might have to go in when when the Orlando one opens, which I oh, think yeah. also is a larger footprint because that's a bigger they have more land there I think. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, that's that is that's when I'll probably bite the bullet and and, and go for it. Yeah, you get the nice Florida resident discount. I mean, <laughs> can't be that. <laughs> All right, uh, just a couple more headlines I, I want to bring up. Yeah, I oh, do yeah. want to mention quickly, just before we move off the of Splatoon. Um, sure. In addition to the weirdness of them announcing the release date for the expansion pass a week after they announced that it was coming out in spring, um, they also started talking about the new season of content this week, despite the fact that they had an actual presentation last week to discuss it, which is a little <laughs> a bit of an odd decision. Yeah, is is there anything in particular that's jumping out at you that you're like, this will substantially change my gameplay well, experience? Or just... Yeah, there's actually <laughs> more being added to this one than there was the previous season change. Uh, I think the big thing that everyone's focusing on is that one of the special weapons from Splatoon 1, the Kraken, like the giant squid you could turn into to mow people down, is coming back as a special for this game, just slightly altered. Uh, so that's got people really and excited. And that, that wasn't in 2. No. They didn't have no, that in 2. Uh, yeah. 2 completely overhauled all the specials. They were all completely new. And 3 has taken several from 2, uh, kind of tweaked some from 1s and added them in, and then also added a few completely original ones. And so the Kraken is one that they're that they're taking over from 1 and just tweaking a bit. 
And they also announced last week that there's a new, brand new special called the Super Chump, <laughs> which they're also adding into the game. Now, I know, like, I'm, I'm sure these weapons all play a little bit differently from each other, but, like, do you think this is enough to, like, get folks who have maybe kind of been lapsed from the game, like, really excited about it? Or is it, do you think it's more for people who are still kind of deep into it? I think, kind of just yeah, I think both will be happy, but because of the kind of nostalgia factor that the Kraken has, I'm sure it's going to draw people back in. It's probably the most well-known special from Splatoon 1. Uh, mm. It's definitely one of the more memorable Because it's ones. literally broken, like every other special in that it, game. It is very, very good, <laughs> but it's also just got that that cool factor of turning to a giant yeah. squid and ramming into people. <laughs> right. Uh, and What's so I think... love about that? Yeah. yeah. Exactly, right? And so that that's probably going to get a lot of people into it. There's also some other content on the side, the usual stuff like new gear and whatnot. There's something happening with the PvE mode as well. We're getting new content for that, which is interesting. Um, season's just looking good, honestly. <laughs> uh, last The last season update was already pretty pretty neat, and this one's looking like it ha- it's going to get even more content. And uh, the only thing that there is not to love is that they are giving a lot of attention to the shooter weapons again, as opposed to every other of the ten classes. But <laughs> right, right. other than that, um, it's looking good. Yeah, definitely credit where credit is due. They've certainly been keeping with what they advertise, which was, you know, we're going to be pretty much constantly updating the game. I mean, I feel like there's not really a week that goes by where we don't hear some at least like tiny update about something, whether it's a Splatfest or balance update or something. So they've they've been busy over there. That's for sure. Um, all right. Just a couple quick more stories I want to make sure we hit on before we move into some of the games that were announced this week or recently, I should say. Um, now this one, I, all the credit goes to, to Did You Know Gaming, which if you guys aren't familiar, they just do just incredible levels of research and interviews and um, are all about like uncovering the history of long lost games and with a particular focus on Nintendo games from throughout all the various consoles that have passed. Um, and this one just, now I should clarify, this started off just as a pitch. This game never really entered active development and this kind of thing happens all the time, but it's rare that we get such level of insight into like these early pitches for games that could have happened. Uh, so this was a, a Star Fox game that Retro Studios was trying to pitch internally uh, that never got off to the ground. It was called Star Fox Armada, was the concept name for it. And uh, is notable for a couple reasons. First of all, this was supposed to be on the Wii U, which did get some Star Fox games. It got Star Fox Zero and Star Fox Guard. Um, but this was a, a different pitch for a different game on that platform. Um, it was supposed to be a direct sequel to Star Fox 64 in terms of its story and gameplay. So it, the, the whole premise was about kind of you know, Corneria needs to be rebuilt, and so you're going off on these various missions to search for allies and resources, and of course you discover a new big bad guy. But one of the things that was really interesting to me about this pitch uh, was that you have you would have to decide, like as you go around and you complete story missions and you earn more money, you'd have to decide whether to send it back to the Cornarian government to like help them rebuild or to use it to like upgrade your fleet and your ships and stuff. And I just, I was like, wow, like that's really cool. Like I really would have liked to see this type of game come to fruition. 
Yeah. I will say the one thing about it, I'm kind of iffy on is the idea of having, like, that puppet aesthetic. <laughs> oh, no. I I disagree. That oh, would be, that would be so phenomenal. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Have you? Okay. Di- different strokes okay, for different hold folks. Hold up. <laughs> hold up. Hold up. Okay. Well, I want to address this. Please. You know, we always hear about Miyamoto. He, like, Star Fox was inspired by, like, Thunderbirds, the 60s BBC puppet show, right? You've heard of this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, have we? Have, have any of us in this call actually watched Thunderbirds? No, the sixty show. <laughs> no, that was significantly. Then you would not hold. <laughs> you would not hold that opinion. That is one of the most amazingly constructed, artful craftsmanship shows like that's ever happened. It's incredible, and it's on YouTube. The first episode, if you want to watch it remastered officially. Wow, uh, it's an incredibly gorgeous show that like. The craftsmanship's like unbelievable, and so if that was like recreated in a game engine, I would I would die. I mean this this <laughs> this announcement would kill me. I re- okay a little bit about me. I am a card carrying member of the Star Fox Zero Defense Brigade. <laughs> uh, I think that game's very good. Uh, it's obviously not as good as sixty four, but I think it's an incredibly fun game that I did one hundred percent, got all the medals, um, and so I, I you know. I Star, I Star Fox is my blood. It, it, it wow. keeps me alive. It keeps me going. It's not every day you meet like f- a Star Fox super fan. That's I, I oh, love it. I'm in it. I'm in it. I like I you don't even get me started. So, <laughs> reading this pitch, reading this this pitch here, it does feel very Western game design. Um, you know the open world mm-hmm. and and upgrading your thing and kind of and but there's like specific individual levels that you kind. Of, Kind of like a like Forza, you know, like Forza sure. Horizon. There's like yeah, an open yeah. world, and then you go and do a race. Except now it would be like a a level or whatever. Um, so that would concern me because I do really like the linearity of Star Fox. I think the multiple paths through linearity is just super fun and engaging. So um, in that way, you know, it, not to say it would be bad. It you know, it's just very retro studios, very you know, western way to like switch up the gameplay, but. If, if if a Nintendo Direct had a Star Fox announcement, yeah, I mean, that would be... That's the end we game. We would be getting... Yeah, <laughs> I would be the end game. Yeah, I could quit. I could quit uh, and, and uh, live my life happily with that one game. Um, <laughs> I still go back to zero. Anyway. No, no, this is great. Watch Thunderbirds. That's your recommendation. <laughs> go go on YouTube and watch, look up Thunderbirds Episode 1. Again, it's been remastered recently, the Thunderbirds show, so it's in this beautiful resolution. It's just incredible. Uh... And you'll Nick, Nick, I promise, both Nicks, <laughs> okay. right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm looking Amazing. at it. Amazing, especially right if you now. like, and uh, if you like Star Trek and like old school like hard sci-fi, the original Thunderbirds is like sick. Like it's super cool. Like, but it's got this cheesy corniness that's so not cynical. It's not cynical at all. It's it's serious, just like Star Fox. Like the 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 kind of mood and tone of Star Fox is. Well, okay, but I'm looking at this, and the the little the puppets on Thunderbirds they don't look anything like the Star Fox characters, as far well, as they I look can like, tell. They look like the promo art of the SNES games. Sure, that's what okay. that's that's what that's based off of. Obviously, that yeah, you can only do so much um, on, a, on an N64 or whatever. Right, but the right. promo art of those Super Nintendo games, the cover art, you know which one I'm talking mm-hmm. about, Fox. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, the Reggie Fils-Aimé Falco. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When they had like the Muppets and all that, that was wild. <laughs> yeah, for E3. Um, I wonder yeah. how much of this pitch gang turned down was just that 
there was already a plan internally for Star Fox Zero, and so they just didn't see the need for another for a pitch at this point. So I imagine it, it being a Miyamoto project, he would probably already had a pretty solid idea right, of what he wanted. Miyamoto is hyper controlling yeah. over this franchise. I mean, I remember when the Zero like did, like. It wasn't a lot of asks because he wasn't alive anymore, right? But it was just Nintendo's developer interviews. And Miyamoto literally admitted, like, Star Fox Zero was the most involved he'd been in a game since Ocarina of Time. Mm. And so, like, that, it is, like, a really important franchise to him. So I would imagine it got shot down because he wants to do it. And yeah. it, it's something he's kind of very controlling over. Yeah. Although you say that, but then we, d- we did get on the Switch. We haven't gotten a proper Star Fox game, but... Remember when Ubisoft put out Starlink Battle for Atlas? And, How uh, dare you mention Starlink? <laughs> no, but it's funny because in, in some ways, I've only played a little bit of that game, but in some ways, this like there were some ideas in this pitch that kind of manifested in that game. Like yeah, the no, that's your Star Fox game. The, the mission-based structure, have, you know. <laughs> I, I came with the hot takes today. I have a hot take about why Miyamoto greenlit Starlink. Because in the development of Star Fox Zero, he forlorned in these interviews that he couldn't make an R-Wing amiibo that could transform into a walker. Right. It was too complicated. Oh. Nintendo wouldn't let him do it. And Ubisoft <laughs> says, we'll make you an R-Wing toy. And what does he fly around on the E3 stage? He's playing with the R-Wing toy. He loves it. And that's what he, I think that's what he wanted it for. <laughs> you think he really just wanted a toy, and so he greenlit an entire game based on <laughs> whatever. It just, it's just a little, I mean, I don't know if you've ever I mean, played the Star Wars power Star play. <laughs> it's it's pretty minimal. I mean, it's a lot of cutscenes, sure, like, cool animations, but it's pretty minimal, like actual gameplay benefit to the Starlink game. But um, if you like squares, you might be able to convince yourself that like it's kind yeah. of a Star Fox game, maybe, <laughs> or no. It is no. It, no. It, fortunately, it is a Star Fox game, and I I do have to recognize it as one of my children. Even though uh, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know why I spent the I don't know how much that game it, was. It's it it's the it was discounted very quickly. Yeah, it's the child you don't really talk to anymore. It's like the child that's kind of off doing its own very yes, strange, strange child. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Um, one last kind of major news story. I guess well, maybe not major, but just weird. Um, Hey, uh, do you guys remember that Animal Crossing New Horizons came out about three years ago? Oh no, not that. I'm not that old. Yeah, it was like um, last year, right? I don't know about you guys, but this this seems like the perfect time to release a 700-page in-depth guide to Animal Crossing New Horizons three years after its original release. It's like the the this Patrick meme. Oh boy, three a.m. Like <laughs> oh boy, six three years later. Let's, yeah, let's read seven hundred more pages of this game. Um, like is yeah, is wow. there is there anyone out there who is still who is still three years later playing this game so much that they would that they would refer to a guide? Like if you're still play, if you played this game when it came out and you're playing it now, you don't need a guide. You, yeah, you've caught every fish. <laughs> that would you, be where I'm at. You've seen through all of red's painting scams you know like you're good <laughs> is i get a feeling this is this is like marketed towards obsessive fans that want a collector's edition tome probably a tome you know. a grimoire yeah, of knowledge yeah, so they, they can for their incantations to get the the, the painting they want or the you know whatever like yeah that's what that's how i feel like this is for people that 
haven't spent enough money on this game. Yeah. Or, like, obsessive. This is, like, a hardcover book. Like, this is not, like, one of those, like, flimsy... It's not a Prima like, game guide. Guides, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's on sale right now, but the list price for this guide... T- take your guesses, everyone, what the list price is for this guide. Oh, man, it's got to be expensive. Uh-huh. Okay, it's 60 no. 70 bucks. I, I've seen the price already, so I'll, I'll avoid. Okay. <laughs> you, you're close, Tom. It was uh, $55 is the list price okay. for this game, which is almost yeah, shipping. a whole copy of Animal Crossing New Horizons. But it has to be said, you can pre-order it now for only $32. Yes, that's this is what true. a deal. What a deal. What a steal with the Nintendo Everything affiliate link. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, find that in the uh description of the podcast. It goes for No, I'm just kidding. We don't really do affiliate links. Maybe we should. Maybe we should do affiliate links. No, it says no, it on, yeah, our, no, on our thing. Oh, okay. I'm well, over on the site. Yeah, 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 yeah on yeah. the site. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, that's just weird, but kind of cool, I guess. Yep. Um, all right, get me one for Xenoblade games. and maybe we'll talk. <laughs> no, yeah. the last Xenoblade guide I bought, I got screwed. The Xenoblade Chronicles X Prima guide with all the misinformation. Oh, and, yeah. oh yeah. my god! I want an, like give me I'll an actual accurate seven hundred page seven hundred page Xenoblade guide. I, I would I would buy that. <laughs> and, and I would buy any seven hundred page guide for my favorite <laughs> game. So I get why people would sure. Use. Like my favorite game got us this like just every detail of everything you could ever imagine about a game, then yeah, I would, I would do that. Especially yeah, that's a true. Big game like, like animal crossing or, or Xenoblade. It's probably got like every piece of furniture in it and like every, you know, like it's like, I'm trying to think like 700 pages is just a lot of pages. So it's um, gotta be, it, it is pages. a lot of like content though. Yeah. Cause if you have information yeah. on all the individual villagers and all, and plus there's all the DLC stuff, which I'm not super familiar with, but I'm sure that also adds a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Sweet. Um, all right, let's let's switch over to games. Uh, we we've you would think that the week after a Nintendo Direct, there wouldn't be a lot of games to talk about, and you'd be mostly right. But there are still some interesting smaller projects that I think are worth shouting out for one reason or another. Um, so this first game, I don't think a lot of people have heard of it. It's called a uh, Bleak Sword DX. And uh, this one is interesting because this is a game that was published by Devolver Digital, but was an Apple Arcade exclusive. And so it, it's it's a really good game. I've, I've played a little bit of it via Apple Arcade. It's super stylish, pretty challenging, actually, uh, kind of like deceptively so. Um, and uh, yeah, I just feel like Devolver put this game out and just no one really played it because it was on Apple Arcade. But it's, it's getting ported to other places now. So now it's coming to Switch. I think it's coming to other consoles as well. Um, it, it plays out kind of like... <clears throat> I mean, it's very much like a combat action game. But it take, it's just a very different approach. Like, you're playing through these very bite-sized diorama levels. And you can get through them um, pretty fast. But just the overall just vibe of this game and the atmosphere is incredible. Like, it's, it's super just surreal and spooky, but it's also got that retro aesthetic to it. It's, it's a lot of fun. I think people will, people are going to probably try this and be like, wow, where did this game come from? That's what I think. Uh, yeah, I had not heard of this until you sent the rundown. And after watching the trailer, like, uh, I'm in love and it looks incredible. And yeah, I definitely uh, am excited and intrigued by 
picking it up, especially now that it'll be on a console. Um, I assume that will improve the control input, you know, quality of, of, of the game. Because it looks, yeah, it looks incredible. So all the power to Devolver Di- Digital for publishing this elsewhere. Yeah. Well, and also, like, to the credit like of, like, Apple Arcade, like, there's some good stuff on that platform. And I feel like a lot of people just don't really know about it. I mean, not everyone wants to play these types of games on their phone, which, like, I get it. But, like, you know, hook up a controller to your iPhone and you've, You've got some some good stuff to dig into over there, I will say. Well, and this feels like a game that would work well with controller too, though. Which even like you know, you think yeah. Apple Arcade, you think touch touch screen focus control scheme, but this this feels like yeah, this could be right at home. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to see how this one feels now that it's um, on consoles. Um, now this other game is. It, I'm just fascinated also just by how many weird League of Legends games we're getting. Um, <laughs> they just announced a new one this past week called The Mage Seeker, a League of Legends story. And um, this one, they, they really have only shown off a little glimpse of it in the trailers. It looks like it's going to play similar to something like a hyperlight drifter, like a, it's a top-down action RPG where you're just hitting things very fast with your sword. <laughs> um but it's just it's crazy to me like we we for a long time it was like only like league of legends and then for some reason like a year or two ago they decided we're gonna put a lot of money into making these like spin-off indie games all developed by different teams um this one is developed by the studio behind moonlighter which is that rpg where like you run a shop during the day and then you go out at night to like find resources and stuff Mm -hmm. so like they're getting some good talent behind these games yeah i mean honestly i love this initiative uh i've never played league of legends i don't really have any investment in the franchise as it is but the whole just the idea of being of expanding your brand in all these different directions with genuinely like high quality content is it's super cool to see it's really nice to see it actually grow in all these diverse ways and more importantly, it's growing in a way where it's not just like, hey, we're throwing out random stuff that, you know, will maybe make us money, maybe not. But the important thing is it's out there. Like, there is genuine effort put into this. Like, Arcane, the League of Legends show that came out, was widely recognized as, like, one of the best animated shows probably ever made. <laughs> so, there's a lot of effort going into all these different projects, and it's great to see. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people, like... Like, I'm like you, Nicholas. Like, I really had zero interest at all in League of Legends. But then when I watched Arcane last year, because everyone was, like, talking about it, and I'm like, wow, like, this is just an incredible show. I was like, man, like, I really want to learn more about, like, these characters and this world. And I think that's kind of what they were hoping for and why they're putting out all these smaller projects to I mean, try and get more people into that franchise. Clearly it's working to an extent. And I think one of the big things I've heard people that from people that are League of Legends fans is that those, that game just has so much lore that you can only convey so well in just a MOBA format <laughs> that having right. these other entries in the this universe that kind of delve into all this lore a bit more deeply um, really helps grow it, grow that world and expand the world building in a way that you couldn't do if they had just kept to uh, the, the main MOBA. Yeah, well, and, and to reach a wider audience too, yeah. Yeah. I would I would call this the Venus flytrap uh, uh, strategy by by Riot. <laughs> yeah. They they get you in with all the good smelling you know hormones of the of the bud, 
right? <laughs> Arcane, these really classic, cool games, like uh -huh. single player. And then you're in, oh, maybe I'll try League of Legends and chomp <laughs> into the jaws of life you go and you're dead. I mean, you're, you're never seen of again. So I would I would be happier about this if, it, if there wasn't the vampiric Sarlacc pit at the center of it. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> a good point. Legends. Although um, I feel like that's my problem. Well, but also I feel like the, the people who are going to like get really hardcore into League of Legends are not necessarily the same type of people who are going to be picking up these smaller games, you know? I but mean, there's probably some vice overlap. Vice versa, too. Yeah. Vice versa. Somebody who would never have touched League of Legends walked in these one of these genuinely amazing pro products that surround it, and then, huh, all of a sudden they're downloading the game. I'll try it out, you know? Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah. And then they were never seen from again. Well, if I get indoctrinated, I'll, you guys will be the first to know. <laughs> if I start we'll never know. You'll, we'll, the podcast will end. So yeah, I'll just be gone. Be yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Now, this, this one uh, is called Tiny Thor, and it's a, it's a little 16-bit platformer. And I think at first glance, it doesn't look notable um, because we just get so many of these types of games. But I think the most notable part of this one is it's developed by one of the developers of uh, Shantae and yeah. uh, Contra 4, which I wouldn't have known unless I read the very convenient article over on NintendoEverything.com. <laughs> um, it looks like just like a solid 2D platformer. Um, the art looks great, I think, if you're into that 16-bit aesthetic. Um, I think these games do have kind of a hard time standing out, but I am interested. I don't know. Like, there is something to be said for, like, the name value behind some of these developers, you know? Like, when I hear, like, oh, this game is made by one of the Shantae developers, I'm like, okay, well, I at least have to look at this trailer, you know? Yeah. When I am pro naming games after, like, longtime mythical figures. <laughs> uh, like, like, like Hercules on DS, right? Or what's that called? Mighty Hercules? Something like that? Um, this game looks straight out of, like, Super Nintendo. Even, again, even that name, right, of yes. Tiny Thor just feels like a 90s weird mascot name that doesn't cost them any money to, to license. Yeah. Um, and then the, you look at the game, and it looks incredible. So... Uh, yeah, I, I'm all for this. This this is exciting. It feels very, um, I don't know, plucked out of time. And, yeah. and, and even the naming, again, the naming, I, I really... It gives me, like, Genesis or Saturn vibes. You know what? Genesis is a great... Yeah I, yeah, I agree with that. If you were to tell me this was a game that was on Switch Online Expansion Pass for the Genesis, I'd be like, yeah. oh, yeah, okay. I can see it. <laughs> yeah. Um... Now, this next one um, is called Capes, and this is a turn-based tactical game that is uh, all about superheroes, which may sound familiar <laughs> to another game that came out last year <laughs> called uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns. And I just think the timing of this one is, is going to be interesting because Marvel's Midnight Suns was, like, I think a lot of people were really excited for it, but that game didn't sell very well. And this is a very similar concept of game. It's a it's a turn-based strategy game where you're managing like a squadron of superheroes and you're trying to, you know, take down criminals and all the turn-based strategy mechanics you'd expect, right? Moving around a grid and launching special attacks and all that. But this one doesn't have the benefit of having like the Marvel license attached. Yeah. And 
you know, I mean, presumably they also will, like would not expect to be selling as much as maybe Marvel would, but um, it just seems like interesting timing for this type of game right now. Mm-hmm. I think it looks solid, though. I mean, you know, when you're starting from like a blank slate and like you don't know who any of the superheroes are, it like, does give you a little bit more room to maybe tell an interesting story. And um, this one is being published by Daedalic Entertainment, who they've always been known for publishing a lot of like very story-driven like point-and-click adventures over the year. So there could be something interesting here. I, I, it's on my radar, I would say. Yeah, I, it, I like the idea of it. I like XCOM, and this is basically superhero XCOM. There's just something about the actual in-game art style, like not the, the, the visual 2D art, like the actual models and whatnot that just is striking me as kind of generic. And it's not, it's not hitting in the way that I would want it to, given all of the, the 2D art that's based off of. Well, right. and especially, I feel like we are in a uh, dearth of strategy games. I feel like everywhere I turn, there's a new strategy game announced or coming out on Switch. And uh, is dearth the wrong word? I feel like dearth is I the opposite. I it, think it is the opposite. It's the opposite. <laughs> That's an a antonym. surplus. Complete. The surplus of, I'm glad I caught that. Uh, the surplus of strategy games. I feel like that genre is at a kind of fever pitch. Uh, and it's it's not, it's going to have even more trouble standing out when there's a fire emblem right here or a tactics ogre or yeah your midnight suns from last year or advanced wars right around the corner like there's so many strategy games coming out yeah that yeah. Uh, you really and and then like classic all-time franchise like big like great ones right sure and so yeah really difficult to stand out in that in that environment so yeah i i, I hope it's I, I i hope it's good though because i like the idea i haven't played midnight suns yet but I, I always, like, I always tell my friends, I'm like, I, I wish we had more, like, original superhero stories, you know? Like, it'd be nice to have something, like, fresh, like, new superheroes that we, like, aren't familiar with. Um, so, if they, if, if they can pull it off, I, I think this has the potential to be interesting. But, yeah, no, I, I do agree with you that with all the strategy games coming out right now, it's, it's probably not going to land at the same level that some of those others will, unfortunately, but... We'll see. You know, you never know. Um, all right, one last game I want to highlight. This one is definitely a bit of a more low-key experience, but <laughs> it, it, I'm putting this one on here solely because it speaks to a uh, like, you know, like one of like the thought that always crosses my mind. Like, what if I just go went and just lived that van life? You know. <laughs> um, no, this is a game. It, they compare it uh, to unpacking. Um, they said it was inspired by it, which is the game where you just take things out of boxes and put them on shelves, which shouldn't be good, but it is. <laughs> um, and yeah, this game is basically that, but you're decorating a little camper van and you get to put your stuff all over this little camper van. And, you know, if you like organizing things and you <laughs> also have that dr- that little fantasy in your head of, oh, maybe I will go live in a van by the river someday. This game is built exactly for you. <laughs> if your favorite recent Switch game is folders on the UI, then this will be <laughs> this will be your uh, perfect game for you. Yes, that's true. Although you know, like, I this looks charming. Like, I think it looks cute. I'm like, okay, I could, I could. This yeah. would be a nice palette cleanser of a I, game. I don't know how many people have a fantasy of organizing folders, but but I do think there are some people that would like living in a van. <laughs> 
exactly when those folders pop down on switch you know i'm putting all the tetris games in one thing you know my muso games in another i was having a lot of fun with that so but you can't even access the folders from the home screen like i know what like tom like what are you what are you doing here man i agree what the heck is that about where's give me another theme i don't anyway yeah um can you play your switch portably in the game camper van like can you pull out your switch can you play camper van within a switch within camper van Yes, exactly. How That's many layers question. is this? <laughs> no, I think this is one of those games where you're just like an omnipresent being, like looking through the walls of this camper van and just using your force powers to telekinetically organize things. I don't think you have like a little like Animal Crossing villager to move around. Yeah. So it's accurate. Can I buy a $700 yeah, Animal Crossing go. guide yeah. within camper van? <laughs> Yeah, this is this is the act razor of unpacking, Tom. You nailed it. Are there it's... NES games in the camper van that I can emulate? These are the million-dollar questions uh, that I don't have answers to, unfortunately. But yeah, so cute little cute little game that I'm like, well, this could be good. Um, all right. Within like a genre of cozy yeah. Switch games, there's a lot of games like this on the Switch. I it, understand. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right, uh, recent releases. So we have been talking all month long about how February has quite a bit coming out. And uh, this is one of those weeks where there's there's quite a few little gems and some bigger games to talk about. Um, I think the biggest game that came out this week, without a doubt, was the remaster of Tales of Symphonia. Um, the long-awaited return of the GameCube-era action RPG. Um, probably one of the, the most loved Tales games at the 3D days of the franchise, I would say, um, that I've never gotten a chance to play personally. So I'm I'm really excited for this this remaster. Um, this was one of back when this was first announced. I was really looking forward to this because I love going back and playing these older JRPGs and and seeing how far the the genre has come. And um, the Tales games are just always just just charming. They're they're light, you know, they're, you don't have to worry about, like, these, like, super dark brooding storylines. They're just, they make you feel good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have any experience with, with the Tales franchise or, or this one in particular? Not extensively. I've played just the slightest, tiniest amount of the 3DS one, Tales of the Abyss. Uh, but I never got too far into that because I was a dumb kid <laughs> that didn't understand the complexities <laughs> of RPGs. Um, but no, I've heard I completely relate to that. Sentence. Yeah, <laughs> I missed out on so many RPGs as a kid. I, I, you do not want to know how bad I mental... feel about having sold Dragon Quest Nine as a kid because I just didn't get it. <laughs> I re I remember getting lost in Sonic. God, <laughs> like that's how that's how dumb I was. I have a. This is the only Tales game. No wait, Arise came out. I played a bit of Arise. Other than Arise, this is the only one I played. Um, so not to be a Debbie Downer, but this. This remaster's got a lot of flack for being really bad. Oh, actually. really? So I want. Oh, yeah. I mean, every remaster of this game, the game has gotten worse and worse. So this is based on the PS3 port. Okay. Um, this remaster, so it's got all the problems of a lot of PS3 remasters, which is oh. they cut the frame rate in half. So it's in GameCube, it's 60 FPS, and now it's 30. Oh wow! Uh, a lot. The loading times on the current remaster are incredibly bad way worse than you know you take seconds now or it's like i got like a blink of the eye uh -huh. used to load now it takes a lot of seconds just to move between 
cut the loading screens. Um, there's a bunch of graphical glitches. It also does this awful new trend called with the AI upscaling that just smears everything uh, in the background. This game right. does that. And then, like, one of the one of the charming things about uh, the pause screen of the GameCube game is like it just puts over a little like veneer, right? And you still see the world and exactly as you paused it. Well, in this game, that I guess that effect can't work anymore, so it's just a bland background now that oh. pauses and covers up. Oh, and so. I do actually want to warn people about this remaster. I'm glad I'm here. Like, yeah, this, no, this, this is, is important. This is a, this is the PS3 port had a lot of problems, and they chose to remaster that instead of like ground up. Let's do the GameCube one. Let's bring it back. 60 FPS. No. So if you're gonna want to play this game, and you, I mean, GameCube is still the best way to play it. And that's how, right? How is that possible? Right. It's, it's true. And this, didn't this happen with other Namco remasters? Like I feel like. They've been they've been kind of missing it a bit uh, with the Namco remasters, mm. uh, and I don't I don't know if that's true, but with this one specifically, there's been a lot of coverage on its kind of egregiously poor uh, launch date. Yeah, no, I I feel like you're right because I remember because they they keep putting out the um, the Sword Art Online games on the Switch <laughs> as well, and I re I remember those have also gotten some flack for not being particularly great ports. I mean, they do have some some good ones. Like I, I, the Nino Kuni games, they ported those over, and those ones I've heard are pretty good. Yeah. But I'm um, just gonna hope that Bob yeah, and Kaito gets a good port. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that that, I don't know who's doing there's, that. There's Bandai. If that's the same. Uh -huh. No, I know, but does Bandai outsource these? Oh, like, if it's the uh, same studio yeah. outsource, like I don't know, because I, I I am concerned about whenever I see a Namco RPG remaster now, like I sweat him mm. on the brow a bit. And like, <laughs> uh, with this one, it's a. This was kind of worst case scenario. It's really not what about uh, what they did. What about Pac-Man? Because that was a Bandai remaster, right? Oh, that oh, one was remake. No, yeah, I, I that played, one was good. Yeah, that, I thought that was a and great port. What about um or a remake? Klonoa. Yeah, Klonoa too. So maybe yeah. the platformers are okay. The RPGs <laughs> maybe are the concern. Well, they're you know RPGs are just much more complicated games. I'm sure that's yeah. the reason why. You know. It's but you know, <laughs> 60 FPS on the GameCube. Now it's 30. I mean, yeah, that's pretty shocking. A bunch of graphical glitches and texture, whatever, and then those AI smears and yeah, yeah. Well, I know that there... that original game's gorgeous too. It's just a, such a shame. Yeah, I know there is also a PC port of Tales of Symphonia, and I'm wondering if maybe that would be a a better experience. Like theoretically, you could probably get that running on a Steam Deck if you really wanted a portable version of that game. Sounds like that might be your better option at this point. Yeah, buyer <laughs> yeah. beware. Definitely look at it. The other thing I kind of wonder yeah. about is, like, there was the Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition that came out, like, four years ago, and that was fine. That got good user reviews. So I don't understand yeah. why, yeah. for one, it took so long to get Symphonia, and for two, why this one was apparently such a bad remaster when Vesperia was allegedly pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, and the game's still good. Like if you play this game on Switch, yes. like the the core of Symphonia is a great game, but it's just so unfortunate, like that it could be that much better if you had a GameCube lying around. Which I don't blame you if you don't. Like <laughs> this is a two disc game. Like you have both discs lying around. Like, uh -huh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's good to know. Yeah, I I think I don't know. I'm the type of person that even in spite of some technical issues, like if I'm enjoying the game as a whole, I can still enjoy it. As long as it's not completely breaking the experience, you know? Like, I don't mind load times, you know? I never played the original, so 
I'm not like gonna necessarily be comparing, you know, based on like older memories or anything. Mm-hmm. But I can see how if folks were really looking forward to folks who do have a lot of nostalgia for this game were looking for the definitive way to play it and not getting that. I can see why that would be a bummer for sure. Yeah. Um, well, on the brighter end of the spectrum, one game that has been reviewing pretty well is the new Theater Rhythm game, uh, Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line, which is far and away like the definitive Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy game that they've put out. <laughs> um, like, I just, I really can't emphasize enough. This game just has a shocking amount of content in it. The, the base game alone has 385 songs from almost every Final Fantasy game, some third party. Um, like, it's got, you know, other Square Enix games have some soundtracks represented in there. And then if you were to buy, like, the full-on, like, mega version of this game with all the season passes and all the extra songs, you're getting, like, 500 songs in this one rhythm game, which is ridiculous and incredible. (laughs) Like, many Square Enix fans are just going to be just over the moon to have something like this. Yeah. I I have not played enough Final Fantasy games to have a real appreciation for the soundtracks for all of them. Uh, but the fact that they are all here and they all seem pretty well represented and evenly represented is really, really cool. I played the demo for it. Uh, I think I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. It's really fun. It's a very fun game. Uh, even if you aren't aware of, you know, even if you haven't experienced the legacy of all these games, it's still a really fun and really good experience. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of don't really need to. Like, you just... You kind of just need to have enough awareness of like what Final Fantasy is because like as you're going through the various songs, you know, you're moving like you know, if you pick like a Final Fantasy 2 song or whatever, right? You'll you'll the characters will show up and they'll be in their little chibi art and they're going through like the field stages, which is basically them like marching through a field and battling enemies and stuff. And that's really it. So, it's not like it's like a super story-focused game. There are also like some some tracks in the game that have like cutscenes behind them like from the original Final Fantasy games that they came from so you can get a little bit of like the context for like where these songs originally came from it really does act like and I think it acts like a a pretty compelling like history of like these games like you know you're not getting the full story but it's it's like an archive of all the music of these games in one place it's a good way of chronicling and celebrating those that history of all the of the series and even not even that's just that series because as you mentioned that there's music for other games you can get as well yeah they actually i just realized but they actually dropped the final these games uh we they were always the 3ds ones were always called theater rhythm final fantasy but they dropped the Final Fantasy from this one, and now it's just Theat Rhythm. It's no so longer it's... a fantasy. Now it's a bar line. <laughs> sure. <laughs> there you go, Nicholas. That's that's gonna be one of my favorite like Square Enix subtitles for a long time. That, like Mad Lib style, <laughs> Final Bar Line. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of crazy out ones. of a hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it, but like out of context, that's hilarious. Yeah. It's um. Uh, I've only I've only played Final Fantasy One on NES. The only game I've played in the series because really? I was a Nintendo kid that started with N sixty four. So you know that was it. It wasn't in my life. You know. Oh wow. So, uh, I decided a few years ago to like. 
I'm going to start from the very beginning. And so I played the first game. Oh, no. Shocking. I didn't continue with that. Yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's I actually like. I actually like the first yeah. game, by the way. I oh, like, okay. I like the first game. They actually... I'm I'm down with old school NES JRPGs when they're when the classics. Sure. There's clearly something there, but they could just be hard to get into for a lot of folks nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you, you know when when those when those uh remaster pixelized remaster pixel versions ever come out on Switch, maybe that's when I I do it. Mm. If they fix the font. Well, I gotta recommend if you're if you're wanting to play a Final Fantasy game on Switch and you're not sure where to start, my, one of my favorites is Final Fantasy Twelve, and mm-hmm. that's on the Switch, and it's it's a fantastic game. I'm so glad I played it. It's it plays I've, very I've dab- differently, but it's it's good. I've I've dabbled in a in a good amount of uh, like I've dabbled with seven, and I've dabbled with you know eight, and you know, I I keep buying these games. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, six, obviously, I've dabbled. Like, you know, I got I have four on Game Boy Advance. It's just, the only one I've completed, actually finished, was one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You well, definitely have a lot of options. Introduction. Yeah. <laughs> you do. To go with yeah. on Switch. Now, Nicholas, I know this next one is one that you're excited for. I think this might be the last one we talk about today, just for the sake of time. But I want to make sure we get this one in, because I know you were, you were excited for this one. Uh, Blanc, the, uh, the black and white kind of co-op adventure game with the cute little fox character and i think that's a little dog <laughs> yeah it's a little wolf this, this one was on your radar right <laughs> yeah i mean it's really cute uh, i haven't played it yet i might pick it up at some point eventually uh i just haven't gone around to it part of that was uh the direct just having so many other things shown off uh-huh. um but no i it's it's come out uh people seem to enjoy it the one main complaint i've seen is that some of the puzzles can be a little obtuse at times and that the game's a bit on the shorter end. Uh, but it still looks great. I still want to try it out. <laughs> uh, I also have confirmation. Th- this is in a way a spoiler, but it's a spoiler that I think is necessary for my personal experience, that the animals don't okay. die at the end. So Well, that's good. That's yeah. It is good. That's a very real concern for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. You attach to the cute little animals and see them. No, that's not happening here. They're going to be happy okay. and okay. <laughs> I, I guess because it is two player, that'd be pretty unfair to the yeah. player that was playing as the deceased critter. It's going to be like, um, like can't play what was the game that the the it takes two devs? Actually, never mind. This might be a spoiler. I'm getting oh yeah, ignore this. Yeah, no, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, okay, there you so go. That was, that was a good surprise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> no, I'm always just. I feel like, you know, we've seen a lot of games that try and take this kind of black and white art style aesthetic, but I'm always surprised at how many different ways there are to do it. You know, like I think the first game I played that was like a black and white game was Limbo. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that game really like made their, it inspired a lot of other games with a similar art style. But this game just looks totally different than that. I think partially because it looks like it was all sketched out on paper, you know? Yeah. Um, it looks beautiful. And my wife and I, we've... Yeah, we. my wife and I have been getting more into playing games like this together. And I, I think I'm going to have to pick this one up at some point because I think she would really enjoy it too. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, that's just about our show for the week. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened up to this point in the episode. Uh, But before we go, we will end with our classic segments. 
What have we all been playing lately? Hey, hey, oh. I promised the name. You oh that's I promised right. to name the show. Last okay, time I was on. What you got? I I have a name suggestion. Oh, okay. I've lived up to my end of the bargain here. I would not come back on without a name <laughs> suggestion. So this is Nintendo Refresh, right? Yeah. Podcast. And this is a segment of the Nintendo Refresh podcast where we quickly talk about our impressions of games we've been playing recently, right? Uh-huh. So how about we call it Refresh Rate? Ooh. Hmm. All right. All right. No, that I like that. Like 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 almost like the uh like the re- <laughs> refresh rate for like your display too. Like Exactly. Like 60 yeah. hertz refresh rate. All right. <laughs> yeah, there I you like go. It. See? I like it. That's yeah. I, the, you get points for creativity and uh and also points for just coming up with something when I could come up with nothing. So. <laughs> when none of us could. <laughs> yeah. Hey, all right. Re- ref- refresh rate it is. Refresh rate it is. Until we all get tired of it and pick something else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, Tom, since you have already given us just such amazing ideas today, what have you been playing since we last had Look, you on the show? I know it's been two weeks. But the answer still remains that I am continuing my Fire Emblem Engage time. Uh, as I said, I was playing my first playthrough, and I said, "No, there is no first playthrough. You always do two playthroughs of every Fire Emblem game if you're, you know, you know, like me." And so I'm in the second maddening difficulty playthrough. Wow! Really, really getting into the meta. The meta of this game is super fun. Again, this is a shockingly good strategy game. Um, I, don't, I keep advertising videos on this channel, but the, the one I'm working on is like a, an essentials, like mechanics guide for this game. So if you're looking to jump in, um, I, hopefully sticking tuned to Nintendo Everything will be will have some helpful stuff to get you into the game. Because again, it's just so much fun. There's so many options. Um, it's probably the most fun I've had with the strategy element of Fire Emblem in a in since Conquest, probably. Okay. On the 3DS. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because the meta for this game, while definitely, like, still flyer dependent, but Three Houses, like, the meta for Three Houses was make every single character a Wyvern Rider. (laughs) And that's the meta. Because all the maps are so big. In this game, flyers are still really good, but it's not as dominated by them. And so there's a lot more flexibility with how you can kind of maximize your best units. And it's just still fun. I, but I now I can skip all the cutscenes and uh, move and just move right to the, the good gameplay of it. So that's what I still the same game. Probably next time I'm on, it'll probably still be this game. And how's that? A, how's that maddening difficulty treating you? Is it? A, are you? Well, because that 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 scares me. I, I when I hear <laughs> when I hear a difficulty <laughs> option called maddening, I'm like, no, I believe you, and so I'm going to avoid this difficulty mode. <laughs> there is a there is a map. There's a chapter, cha- you know, I'm not going to say what happens, but in chapter 10 and 11, so it's about halfway through the game, they throw in, like, such a, it's a pivotal story moment and the the actual, like, mission that in a, that occurs is incredibly difficult, like, crazy. And I remember being, I played hard the first time, and I remember that mission being incredibly hard on hard, and then on Maddening it was like, oh my goodness. So there are some missions that, like, are pretty difficult but again if you if when, once the guide comes out if mm. when you're if mm-hmm. your nervousness will go away nick i promise <laughs> okay I'll, I'll have all the tips and tricks you need because i like that it's challenging but i will say 
I'm not using DLC. The DLC definitely breaks the game. The DLC is way overpowered. Really? All the emblems? The, you can oh, my game? gosh. I mean, so, I, I don't know if you want a spoiler warning for one second. That okay. mission steals your, you, you lose all your emblems you had in that mission that I'm talking about. Okay. So it's incredibly difficult because your resources have been just stolen from you, right? Sure. Well, if you have the DLC, you still have a bunch of emblems because they don't steal the DLC <laughs> ah, emblems, right? Oh, so, okay. So it totally, and then you get weapons and resources and materials. And what's difficult about the harder modes is you have limited resources. Well, if you buy the DLC, they give you free stuff right. on top of the emblems. And so it does kind of just ruin the curve because that moment's designed around losing your emblems. And then you just have like six other emblems that you bought. You lose that kind of challenge to it so that's so i will say probably maddening isn't as hard if you have the dlc but without the dlc it's a real challenge which i'm always for with these games so so as someone who is deep into fire emblem engage we talked about this a little bit on our last episode but to me it's interesting that you know a major crux of this game is getting new emblems for your party and like that like that's that's basically the whole gimmick for this one right Old characters come back and can join your party as emblems. Cool. How do you feel about like them basically saying, "All right, our our DLC is this. Like it's that exact same thing." Like to me, it, it feels weird that like the whole premise of this game is we're gonna let you recruit old characters, but not all of them. Some of them are only locked behind the DLC, and I think I'm sure there are some folks out there who are probably like these are things that should be included in the base game because it's like, it's the concept of the game, you know? And I'm curious where you land on that. Like, do you feel like these, like, do you feel like these DLC characters are like worth the extra money or do you feel like they should have been there? Where are you at Look, with that? I, my, the DLC <laughs> for Fire Emblems, going back to where they started doing DLC has always been just for me, like, game bustingly bad as in like the difficulty curve and the balance of the game and i like that's not what i want out of the uh-huh. i enjoy these games because they're difficult and they're challenging and they're strategic and every single dlc is like here's marth and he's the best unit in the game and here's whatever and he's the best and he just completely destroys the balance curve so i'm always against the dlc especially on a first playthrough because it will ruin the balance the difficulty curve now in a game with like a real story that was trying to take itself seriously have just throwing random <laughs> characters into it would, would upset me but like right, right. it doesn't like it, it's not ruining anything by like how is hector here now it's like yeah, hector's here now. deal with okay. it like whatever like it doesn't affect mm. the story like i'm not worried about well it doesn't make sense he doesn't have any lines it's like no one has lines in this game so yeah um yeah the emblems are also so non-characters i mean i've mentioned this two weeks ago they're so like like they don't say like they have some cutscenes and some you know like end credit they're not end credit but like end of the game like they do some they have some initiative on their own but like uh-huh. for the most part they're not really they're a little bit like caricatures of their their original game so yeah okay i don't know i don't like i don't like dlc and fire Emblem that doesn't add challenge or levels to it if it if all it is is adding resources to make the game easier that to me is you know just defeats the point of the the fun of that you know yeah it just feels like sometimes so, Nintendo's like, well, we needed to put out an expansion pass for this game, 
like we have to put one out for every game now. It it kind of feels like so. Like what what can we put behind this expansion pass? And to me, it felt like I know this isn't always how game development works, but specifically for this game, the idea of like you know this is a whole game based around emblems, but we're gonna take some of the emblems and you can only get them in the DLC. I think like on paper that kind of like bothered me a little bit because I was like, oh, that seems like kind of like going against like the spirit of the game and like taking some content out of it for that. But um, but if it's not really as substantial as I think some people thought, then that that's good to know. At least it's not like you're locking a whole yeah. I mean, story it, it, it's so similar to like adding the Kraken to Splatoon three. It's the same because <laughs> emblems are just superpower things you can use during sure. battle. Like sure. it's the same. It's not, they're not like units, you know. Right. right. They're they're there's you sync your unit with them so you gain new abilities. They're more like new abilities more so than a unit on on the on the actual map. Gotcha. All right. Well, I appreciate that. No, that's that's good to know. It makes me feel a little bit better about the overall DLC thing. Um, well, I, my opinion was DLC is bad. You're right, but for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Copy that. Um, Nicholas, what about you, man? What have you been up to this past week or so? So, uh, speaking of DLC. from the direct. <laughs> uh, the Xenoblade 3 DLC came out this week. And oh, yeah. So I've been playing that. Uh, I've been trying that out a bit. I also played the Octopath demo uh, that came out after the Directed, so that's been interesting too. But really, most of my time has been devoted to uh, trying out the Xenoblade 3 DLC and then playing Metroid Dread Dread Mode a bit more. Um, both are good. The DLC is... It's cool. It's basically what I expected. Uh, the new character is pretty standard the uh, the crafting system that you get through this new character is good it provides a small end game loop um but really the the main draw is the new roguelike mode called the arch stages gauntlet and that's really fun <laughs> like i said it's basically what i expect it to be and it works really really well so the idea yeah. is so how, um, how does that work exactly yes so the idea is normally in the main game, you have a party of six main characters that uh, you can swap control between at any point. And then you have one additional character that is like a another story relevant character called a hero. And you can't control them, but they just basically provide additional support in battle. Uh, for the Arch Sages Gauntlet, it's a roguelike mode where you have uh, a short battle against a group of enemies. Once you defeat them, you head to a shop. Uh, you can choose to purchase an upgrade. And then next battle starts, finish that one, shop, etc., etc. Every 10 battles, there's a boss uh, that is difficult and you get like a free upgrade. Uh, but the main crux of it is that rather than six characters that you can control, you can only bring one of your main party of six into the mode. Uh, and then oh. by, at shops, you recruit the other six, but those six are all heroes. So you can't directly control them. They're all AI controlled. So you are just controlling this one main character you are bringing in and the others you're progressively buying and upgrading as you go. That's interesting. I that's a very I feel like unique premise for a type of roguelike structure like that. Like instead of just upgrading your weapons, you're literally adding members to your party. Yep. I've never really heard of that in that kind of format before. Yeah. Um, it really works. <laughs> they they actually balanced it out in a way that makes a lot of sense. There's a few little mechanics here and there. Like there's a timer where if you spend too long uh, in fights, 
Because the idea is they don't want you to be uh, cheesing fights by just having protracted strategies that take forever and just chipping away. So there's a timer in place oh. where if you take too long fighting things, the t um, you'll start getting stat debuffs. And you, you need to periodically refill the timer by buying like time refills at the shop. It all kind of blends together really well. <laughs> Interesting. And so does, does the progress that you make in this mode, does it have any implications to like your broader playthrough of Xenoblade Chronicles 3? Like, does it, um, like, do you, like, get rewards yeah. in this mode that tie into the main game? Yeah, or? so it's a similar thing to the original wave of DLC, where basically you get a secondary resource called Nopon Stone. Uh, this is also a separate kind of Nopon Stone from the other one, where that one was red, this one's blue, so you use them at different shops. And at the shops, you can purchase different things. For the blue Nopon Stone, it's you can get accessories which you can encrypt onto your main characters for greater effects, this is probably what would, you know, benefit you in the main game, because you could bring these accessories into the rest of the world, and so they would just give you bigger stat buffs and whatnot. Uh, it, you can get alternate costumes for your characters. Some of them you get just by beating the, the gauntlets in general, because they, they are capped at a certain amount of rounds. They're not, like, infinite. Uh, so uh -huh. you get some through that, and you also buy a, a few costumes in the shop. And then... Last thing is, well, you can also buy some secondary resources, but those are kind of <laughs> irrelevant. The last thing is that you can actually upgrade the emblems you get, which you know, as a side note, I think it's very funny that the, <laughs> the main like upgrade thing in the three DLC is emblems considering Fire Emblem Engage just released. <laughs> right. But so not confusing at all. Yeah, no, not at all. But the idea is that at the shops, the, the upgrades you get for your characters, well, actually it's party wide upgrades. Uh, are called emblems uh, and once you've purchased one you can upgrade it uh, up to a uh, five tiers and if you go in the shop you can like pre-upgrade them so essentially you huh. can start your run with uh, these emblems already upgraded to the second tier so there's an actual kind of progression where um, like I think most good roguelikes you're still growing in strength from run to run where you are actually becoming stronger just by playing the game and earning more resources that you can kind of reinvest into the roguelike mode. Wow. that This all is, like, substantially more in-depth than yeah. I thought. Like, when I heard, this is, like... This is real it's, deal. It's a lot. Yeah. Is, yeah, see, it's like a mode. It's a mode that right. adds gameplay and not just resources, you know, just trinkets, right? Right, which I'm sure is what we would all prefer. Like, this is a like a best-case scenario in this type of thing. Yeah, no, uh, it's really fun. It's no, also fun just seeing how awesome. everyone is uh, figuring it out because the, the hardest difficulty on it is genuinely difficult. And so watching people kind of... Watching over this last week how people have figured out how to get around it, how people have even managed to beat that final mode using only one character and not buying the extra six... It's all very just, it's fun to see people progress like that and kind of learn what the mechanics are. Yeah, I'm sure that there's... Early dis... oh, Sorry, that say, early I'm... discovery of meta, the meta around a new mode that just comes out, is so exciting when you're in the fan base and you're locked in. That's what I'm experiencing now with Maddening. It's like, that's the best part yeah. <laughs> when something's not figured mm -hmm. out. Yeah, no, it's, I'm sure there's plenty of ways also that people are going to find over the coming weeks and months that are like ways to kind of cheese it a little bit, you know, and like, <laughs> like little loopholes that they can take advantage of to get around some of the, the tougher battles. So that, that always ends up happening with this kind of stuff. It's, yeah. it's cool to see people discovering all these things. No, that's awesome. Um, for, for my part, I have, uh, 
So I had fully intended to be um, playing through Hogwarts Legacy because I was just, <laughs> you know, regardless of all the politics around that game right now, um, it, which goes without saying, like, J.K. Rowling is not a good person. I don't really like her at all and do not agree with anything she believes. But I was still looking forward to that game because it's, I mean, it's just a very impressive piece developed by a lot of people who are very passionate about that world and and I think there's just a lot of creativity in that game that is very cool. So I was fully intending to play a lot of that, but I am still just so sucked into Metroid, uh, not Metroid Dread, Metroid Prime Remastered, um, that I just have, I have barely touched anything else <laughs> this past week. Like, it is, this game has just taken over my life. Like, I'm, <laughs> I, I have not played Metroid Prime since I was a kid, and so I feel like I am rediscovering all these biomes and... It is just kind of crazy just, like, how much I forgot. Like, like when I think back to, like, my memories of playing the original Metroid Prime, like, yeah, like, I remember in broad strokes, like, certain, like, boss encounters and certain regions and all that. But I had totally forgotten just, like, how big this game was. Mm -hmm. Like, for, for, like, the time that this game came out, it is truly shocking, like, the, the way they designed these levels and just how interconnected all the world is. I mean, I know that's kind of what Metroid is all about, but, like, the success at which they had translated that into 3D for the first time, like, when I look at this game now in a context of, like, holy crap, this came out in 2002? Like, it just <laughs> is so much more impressive. Yeah, it's, an, and, um, it's a crazy game. Yeah. And so going back and getting to see all that and like seeing all these little like flourishes they put in and like wow like the lighting in this room looks incredible like this feels so much more vibrant and alive than i remember it like it really is the best case scenario for this type of remaster mm -hmm. it's also kind of funny to think because i've been playing through dread and i've had a friend that's been playing through super it's funny to think that prime is a significantly longer game than most 2d metroids like it is i think it takes at least a good like 10 15 maybe 20 hours to complete fully whereas the others are like 10 hour games for the most part 10 to 15 at most so it, there's a lot of content there and like you said yeah for especially being, if you're like me and you just get completely lost and you're like mm -hmm. okay well i don't remember what i was doing yesterday <laughs> that you backtrack yeah, it's been i i'm so excited again i i'm, I'm waiting for physical physical release for this game i'm not gonna get duped again by Nintendo. <laughs> um uh, take it this game for me but uh you know i am a super guy like that super is to me like one of the greatest games ever made um and so i've never been the prime guy but i was yeah i was young when i played that game i haven't played it since i was you know too young to really get it like uh -huh. too, to really get it and one thing i gotta say like Oh my goodness, like, the chops, the technical chops on this remaster. It looks like a different system. Like, it doesn't even look like a Nintendo <laughs> game. Like, No. And I do know, I do know retro, I mean, and maybe this is worth making a longer form content about, but, like, the staff by, the, the staff that they've been recruiting for Prime 4 have been variously other AAA Western developed yeah. studio talent. And you can really see it. From the visual and technical aspect more so than any other first party game i've seen from from nintendo um i know it's not technically first but you know what i mean like no yeah totally not like, like that studio they own right right like 
that's exciting because again there's real chops here that it again it looks like it could be on ps4 or something you know and that being applied to prime this engine being applied to prime 4 2 specifically like oh they're really going for it yeah going for that triple a appeal and western and visual style and everything like that like that's what's really exciting about the prime remaster mm-hmm. Yeah, if they're even just able to, like, match... Like, it doesn't even need to look better than this. Like, if Metroid Prime 4 just looks as good as this, people will be happy, you know? Like, it's... And I was looking at some of the side-by-side comparisons that folks have been putting out, and this is... I mean, when I first saw the trailer, I was like, wow, they really made the game look a lot sharper. But no, it's like... It's a remake. They, yeah, <laughs> like, it, like, they really did go through and redo every model, every texture... And, like, things move differently, and, like, it's just, like, like it, it, it just all looks so good. And I, it, it has been certainly adding to the immersion factor for this game for me. Like, this is one of those instances where I think, like, increasing the graphical prowess, like, yeah, like, making it look pretty is great, but, like, it really does even more to, like, suck you into this game's world than well, I think a simple and that's upscale. Credit- that's credit to the immense polish of the original game and all the little details of the visor and the lighting and the, that go into immersion. And then when you just give it this modern kind of texture work and geometry, like, wow. Yeah. All that really pays off now. Obviously, it's still paid off on the GameCube. It's a gorgeous game. But, like, it really looks good when not just up right? Tales of Symphonia uh ai upscale but you know like really (laughs) lovingly redone to retain that visual immersion that was clearly like intentional uh uh, in the original game like because that's what metroid's all about every single one is just getting lost in a world and literally getting lost too in that world Um, and prime remastered seems to knock it out of the park i'm so excited when i finally get it yeah i can't wait to hear your thoughts after you've played it um this is a total side note, but one of the things that people have been talking about is like, oh, like now that we know that this remaster is real, are they going to bring two and three mm-hmm. over at some point, and what's that going to look like? And I don't really, I, no one knows the answer, but I'll just say this: I hope that if they if they bring over Metroid Prime Two, I really hope they retain the multiplayer mode that came with that game because. <laughs> I I, yeah. I don't no know. No way. No way. They no. Do that. <laughs> I you know it's I don't know if they will, but I'm telling. I had so much fun with that multiplayer mode back in the day. Like I would play it locally with my sister all the time on our TV in split screen, and I like now that I've been playing the remaster and realizing like how well these mechanics hold up, like from, from combat situation and just the overall traversal. I'm like. I feel like if they really, like, spent even just a little bit of time just making this multiplayer mode work again on the Switch, you know, it could it could look and play spectacularly. And um, I, I would that would make me very happy if that happened. <laughs> Will it happen? I don't know. But <laughs> I'm really unconvinced they would do anything with those games. I feel like this is the, you think this this is is the primer yeah. for 4. The primer. Unless uh, Because it's like, yeah, are they going to remake it on this level, those other two? No. And then would they just port Metroid Trilogy when this game exists? That also seems unlikely with this game existing right. now. I well, but, don't but what if they, that, but. Could they, 
could they already have remastered these games and maybe they're just not showing them yet? They're like trying to spread them out. I would love yeah. that. I would love that. That would be great. I mean, I'm, I just, I mean, I guess I'm pessimistic yeah. about the like. I see. I think yeah. we are getting the games because it would be so, it would be too bizarre if they just, if we just had one and four and then two and three never came. That would just be a little bit too odd, I think, even for Nintendo. My main question is basically either are we getting two and three after four releases? Kind of a, hey, here's a primer, then here's the main dish, and now you can check out the other things. Or are we getting two and three before Prime 4 releases? And if we are, are they both going to release at the same time because they're a less, uh, I guess, polished package in a way? Like they aren't as deep of a remaster? Or are they spacing them out? Because hmm. I do think if they're spacing out like one then several months later two, then several months later three, it that might be stretching it out a bit too long. Yeah, maybe. Although, Nicholas, I, I have to disagree with you that Nintendo would not just not release yeah, two or three, because I think they, yeah, they I mean, absolutely who we talking would. About? <sighs> would, <laughs> would Sony or Microsoft do that? Maybe not. Would Nintendo? Pretty good <laughs> chance, I would say. Yeah, I just <laughs> don't want to. Much to my dismay. <laughs> Hey, no. Wind Waker and Twilight Princess are crying in the background right now. See, I, yeah, I have the true. hot take Pour that Wind out. Waker and Twilight Princess don't strictly need a remaster on Switch. Yeah, they could just literally just need to show it. up. No, I'm and, saying I don't think they strictly need to, to be over. on Switch. Wait, they oh. want them to be on Wii U? Well, forever? they've been on the last three systems. Is kind of my opinion. So, like, if we get it, that's obviously nothing bad. And if they do do it, like, sure, that makes sense. But it's also not like the games have been completely unavailable for years and years. Like, say, some of some GameCube titles like uh, Sunshine had been for 3D All-Stars or like Thousand Year Door or something. These games have been available on three separate home systems all in a row. True, but not digitally after, you know, a month from now. True. Right? Like, you're not going to, someone else, you, you can dust off some Wii U or buy one out of yeah. I was saying I don't think there was there's been a desperate need for that. That being said, I do think after Tears of the Kingdom releases, assuming the Switch has a few more layers in its lifespan, we will probably get them. Um I just don't think it's as desperate of a need as people have been making it out to be. Well, I look, I, as a fan of Metroid, the need is very desperate for 2 and 3. But for Nintendo, the sales need for 2 and 3, I'm sure will would we'll, we'll in comparison versus Twilight Princess and Wind Waker getting ported mm. to Switch. I, well, I feel like Metroid's always struggled selling. So, well, I you know I I did see something interesting um, over on the Metroid subreddit that apparently Nintendo is sending out. Nintendo always like seems to send out surveys to their club Nintendo members after they buy a game, but it seems like the survey that they've been sending out for folks who have bought Metroid Prime Remastered is actually a little bit different and a little oh. bit more in depth, and it's asking oh. it's asking questions like. Like, what do you think is unique about the Metroid Prime games? And, and you know, a little <laughs> more... Please help us. Like we don't know what to, to do with Prime 4. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um... Why but... can't she crawl? <laughs> there are times where I'm like, you're telling me she can't crouch just a little bit? But, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, so it's interesting. So, I, I... It does kind of seem like they're treating this whole thing as, like, an experiment. And I'm, I'm hoping that if this game is selling well, that this that will be the kick in the rear that they need to put the rest of the games on there. But we will see. Mm -hmm. We will see. Other M remake when? That's all we need to know. 
Prime Federation Tom, I Force. Would, I would love that. Tom, I would unironically love that. That would, I would play that. Really? Would you? Oh, yes. I was joking. You like you like other M? I I like it for its gameplay. I I think it was not a perfect game, but I think it was actually. I have good memories playing it, and I think. I think it. The story of Other M is the room of video games. I feel like it's that. Like, it's so funny. It's like, hilarious. Like when when Samus does the thumbs down, and that I like literally tear up from laughter every time I think about it. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's that's a it's that's bonkers. a really that's a really in the weeds reference. I'm sure no one's. What is he talking about? <laughs> um, no, I um, I I I do think that game it. It is crapped on for some reasons that I think are understandable. Like, the story is nonsense and does not really live up to Samus' character. Like, I get that. But I actually think the third-person gameplay was pretty fun. Like, it, it, I think it played better than a lot of people give it credit for. Of course. The game itself is, like, solid. It's like a Mega Man, you know? Or yeah. And then, and then, yeah, you get a story... That just what like, <laughs> yeah, no. It, I would like to see them re-release that just to see how people who haven't played it react to it nowadays. That would be so much fun. all right, folks. Well, this has been a, a wild episode, but thank you so much for listening to us and uh, for supporting our show. We really appreciate it. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word. We are on all these streaming platforms from Spotify to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher even, if you're one of those cool people who listens to podcasts on Stitcher. Um, yeah, go and check us out and spread the word to your friends. We always want to get new folks listening to the show. Also, be sure to go over to the YouTube channel where Tom and Sam are putting out really good content and lots of it. So um, yeah, we're excited to see what else you guys do, Tom. Yeah, we just put out a GoldenEye controller guide video uh, and uh, just the nonsense of remapping <laughs> that Nintendo's forcing you to do to play that game functionally. Uh, there should be some helpful tips and also some, you know, hilarity of the, at the sheer absurdity of what you have to do to make that game work on the Switch. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again, everyone. Thank you guys for joining us, and we will be back at you next week with everything new and exciting in the world of Nintendo. See you guys later.